Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. We're in our series entitled Jesus People, and uh, I think, yes, there we go. Um, the notes are available. If you were to scan the QR code, you'll be able to get all the notes from all of, the, all of our speakers each and every week. And during this series, we're focusing in on who Jesus is as he interacts with key individuals in the Bible. And what we want you to see is who Jesus is, but maybe some of yourself in some of these characters. And in the process, you'll understand how God is wanting to work in your life. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 20. Oh, before I do that, next week, buckle up. We've got a four by 10 going on. Four speakers, 10 minutes each to talk about Jesus, people. And some, some of these people, it's their first time ever, and some of them have done a little bit, but you get ready. It won't be worse. It'll be better. It's going to be a great week next week, and these guys are ready to go, and you bring your basket because you're going home with something extra left over for, for yourself, okay? Give them a big hand. I'm looking so forward to that. Oh, quick, dad joke. You, are you ready? I invited my girlfriend to the gym, but she didn't show. That's when I realized we weren't going to work out. <laughs> okay, let's go. Mark, Mark chapter 10, 27. Why don't you read this with me, okay? Some of you are like, I don't get that one, okay. Re say this with me. With man, it is impossible, but with God, not with God. How about I read it correctly and you, re and you read it with me? You were fine. I was messing it up. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Amen? Amen. Man, what a great scripture to quote. Now, I asked a few people this week. I said, what context is Jesus talking about this particular scripture? And I had different people tell me, I'm not sure, but I think it was, I think it was the the centurion whose daughter was dying. I think it was the woman whose son had seizures. I think it was the woman whose son was dead in the casket. I'm not sure which, what the context was. And I said, I think you'd be shocked to see the exact context of this scripture. Because the context of this scripture is this. Jesus was looking at a rich young man and he loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, the young man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they were uh, the disciples were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can even be saved? And then is when Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. It's a weird, strange connection. And why it matters to you is because you are who Jesus was talking about. I know that you don't feel like this, but many of you do not realize that you are legitimately asset-wise and possession-wise the richest people on the planet. And I know I still have you standing. I'm not losing track of time, but you, this is important. You need to hear this. 
When I typically ask people on a scale of one to 100, what number are you from poor to rich? Zero, number one being the, the poorest and 100 being the richest, most people put themselves 30 or 40. They feel like they are poor, but let me give you some statistics. A part-time single teenager student working 15 hours a week, making a minimum wage would earn $11,000 a year, and he or she is richer than 82% of people on the planet. There are 82 people to their right and just a few to their left. A teenager working 10 hours a week, 15 hours a week. A single adult working 40 hours a week making minimum wage will earn $30,000 a year. They are richer by measurement of all the people on the planet. They are richer than 95% of people on the planet and much higher if they live with a family. A family of four in Clark County with a median income of $77,000 is also richer. That's mom, dad, and two children, richer than 95% of people on the planet. And if they tithe, they would still be richer than 94% of people on the planet. A little plug there for tithing. Uh, a couple without children making $100,000 is among the richest 1% of people on the planet. A line of 100 people where do you stand? And I know many of you feel like you are poor, but you are delusional. I, I say that in love, and I say that in, with, with all love for you. But what I need you to hear this morning is when you read the scriptures about rich people and the dangers of riches, you better take note because Jesus is actually talking to you. Now, it's not all bad news. There's actually some great news as you take a look through Scripture here. But this morning, we're going to talk about the rich young man. And yes, I'm talking about you, whether you're a woman or a man. You are rich. And no matter what your age is, I think you're young probably compared to me anyways. Okay, Father, thank you so much for your people. I ask you to bless their lives. Allow us to hear your word and apply it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Now, with all of those statistics, you may be seated. With all those statistics that I just gave you, I'm going to make a couple statements here and, and back them up with Scripture. Uh, I'm going to say this, that uh, you are rich, but the reality is if you follow Jesus, you will become wealthier in every aspect of your life. And it's going to affect your finances, and that's why you want to hear what the Scripture says this morning. You know, have a rich young man comes to Jesus and he asks him this question as you study that portion of Scripture in the book of Mark, chapter 10. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is a young man who's honestly searching for something. When you study him, he's already wealthy. He's already achieved something in his career, in his education. In fact, some translations put him in leadership within the community. So as a young man, he's already risen to a spot where He's got affluence. He's got influence. And yet, on the inside, just by nature of the question, he really does feel like something's missing. And I don't know if you found yourself at this spot, no matter what you were shooting to achieve, but if you don't have Jesus, you're always going to feel like something is missing in your life. You're going to feel like that something's not quite as good as it should be because there is an internal part of you that's been woven together by God that is intended to connect you with him. And without that connection, you are not all that you could be or the person that God intended you to be. And so the young man says, 
uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds and says, hey, you follow this commandment, that commandment, that commandment. And the young man in verse 20 follows up and he says, in, in Matthew says, yeah, yeah, I, I've done all those things, but what do I still lack? There's this inner sense that something is still missing. And he's right, something is still missing. God has yet to step into his life in a way that, that God has designed to be in our lives where he is Lord and we follow after him. And so Jesus goes on in verse 10 through uh, chapter 10, 21 to 22, and Jesus looks at him, it says, and it says he loved him. And I think that that's how Jesus looks at everyone. It's scripturally teaching and as far as everything I know about scripture, regardless of who you are, as Jesus looks at you, the initial response, the initial feeling is in his, in, from him to you is one of love. It's not one of judgment. It's not one of wrath. In this day and age, Christ having sacrificed his life, we know that he looks at us with love. And he goes on to say, you're right, you do lack one thing. And he says to him, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, this is one person who happens to be rich, who is instructed to give away everything, but I want to warn you, do not use this as a blanket for all finances or a measurement of spirituality, because some have bought into the idea to be poorer is to be more spiritual. To deny yourself of worldly pleasures would mean a greater level of spirituality. And the reality is Jesus has many rich people in his life, many close friends that are very wealthy, Lazarus being one of them. And Lazarus was never required to give away his money. Now, as you look at the scripture, I think that there's a couple things that will stand out here that I want you to grab onto that I think are really, really important. Uh, number one, following Jesus will cost you summary thing. Now, I know you haven't heard that word before because I just made it up this week, but following Jesus, and that's what I, I, I don't, no shame in that. I'm going to make it up this word. Following Jesus, though, is going to cost you summary thing. Everyone in this room, including this man in this story, and everyone else in the Bible, following Jesus has a price, absolutely. And the word summary thing is a combination, it's a measurement, it's somewhere between something and everything, but definitely not nothing. Following Jesus is going to cost every one of us summary thing. And in this particular individual's life, it cost him his finances, Mark chapter 8, the, uh, in calling to the crowd, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and let him follow me. For who, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will absolutely save it. And so there's this idea that when you and I come to follow Jesus, there is something required to follow after him. I would never... Uh, want to indicate anything other to you than that because in order to follow Jesus means you got to stop following something else. And in most of our cases, in my case especially, prior to meeting Jesus, prior to following Jesus, I was following Steve Parrish. Now, I could tell you that did not lead to great places, but it led to where Steve Parrish wanted to go, which was usually a dead-end cul-de-sac and a repeat uh, trip around some crazy mountain with not a whole lot of reward but there was some comfort in being in control of my own life. 
There's something about being behind the steering wheel of your own life, even if you have no clue where you're going and you're stuck in a ditch, to surrender the control to someone else can be terrifying. But Jesus, when he invites us to follow after him, there's at least the surrender of something, and it may be the driving of your own life to allow him to be in control. Um, With that, there's a great portion of scripture that you can find in 1 Corinthians, and this describes some of the things that some people have given up. I'm going to read through this list, and I don't care what culture is calling for, and I ain't trying to be politically correct, and if you're looking for that, you've come to the wrong church. 1 Corinthians, amen? You, amen. Thank you. 1 Corinthians, we believe God's word. We stick with God's word. Culture will vacillate all over the place. I'm certainly not trying to be offensive at all. However, I want to challenge you with God's perception of things, not this world's perception of things. Amen? Culture is always shifting. So some things, there are some things that we will all give up in order to follow Jesus. You know, it's that idea of, uh, I had to quit killing people to follow Jesus. I had to quit robbing banks. I'm following Jesus now. It's hard to follow Jesus and rob banks. It just is. And that trickles down into lots of other areas that are visible and some are deep and quiet issues of the heart, but some are out and outside and loud. But this list is really quite amazing when you consider what it includes. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And you and I, before we started following Jesus, we were unrighteous. It doesn't mean we're totally, you know, in our actions righteous now, but the idea of following Jesus is I begin to walk away from unrighteousness and follow Jesus, and as I follow him, he teaches me a new way to live. How many of you live differently now that you follow Jesus? Amazingly. And here's the beauty of following Jesus. The reason why he changes our behavior and gives us structure and gives us rules is because he wants you to become the best version of you you can be and to experience the favor and blessing of God navigating through this life, avoiding obvious pitfalls. There's this weird thing that happens when you rob banks. Well, maybe not all the time in these days, but should happen. You get chased by the police, you are incarcerated and spend time in jail. That's not what I would call thriving. And so one of the reasons why God says, thou shalt not steal, is because your life is gonna be less than best from jail. Now, if you end up in jail, You can still have a relationship with Jesus, and you can thrive in that context. But how many of you know you could have thrived much better outside of jail? For those of us who have spent any time behind bars, you know, yeah, amen, right? Okay? Um, So this is an inclusive list of some obvious things that we used to do, but in following Jesus now we don't, and some of them are less obvious. But it goes on to say, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? But don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And it goes on to say to people following Jesus, and such were some of you. Every one of us in this room prior to following Jesus probably is guilty of something on this list maybe most things on this list, or maybe even some things not listed. That's our past. And when we begin to follow Jesus, some of those things begin to fall away immediately and some over time as God identifies them. Sometimes in the process of of God stepping into a relationship with God, these things will just fall away and then some others will really cling on and you gotta battle through them. 
And it goes on to say, but you were washed, because when you follow Jesus, he begins to wash you. It's not only the outside dirt from robbing banks, but he robs your heart from the desire to rob banks. Now, again, there's a lot of things on this list, but it goes on to say, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I'm going to say this of this entire list. The question could be asked, but aren't some people born that way? Let's talk just about thievery because it is one of the things here. As a kid, I used to shoplift. I'm not proud of it. I had an accomplice. It was my sister. We would go into 7-Eleven. She would distract on the other side of the counter. I would reach down into where the candy, the wacky packies were, if you know what those are, and I would shove some of those in my pocket. And if I couldn't get away with it, I would spend my lunch money and not eat lunch because I was addicted to wacky packies, which were stickers. Instead of Tide, you know, it's the sticker Glide, and it's got some crazy guy on a skateboard falling down. Some of you are like, why would you ever steal that? I don't know, but I, I wanted that, and I didn't have the money for it. And also... I had watched somebody else do it that got me to do it with them. And then there was the thrill of getting away with it and the danger, and and I got away with it. And so, yes, I, I began to steal as probably a first and second grader. And over a period of time, this was something that I did more and more often. And the question could be asked, Steve, why are you doing that? And my response is, because I was born this way. And I will say this, with everything on this list, yes, it is true. Everyone who, who, who was engaged in any of this material on this chapter, yes, they were born that way because we were all born with a sinful nature. I did not have to teach not one of my children how to sin. Every single one of my children, as wonderful as they are, and now I can see it in my grandchildren, there is no instructional time ever spent on how to sin. It's a lot of time spent on how to do the right thing, but not a lot of time spent on how to do the wrong thing because as cute as babies are, they have a sin nature and there's something that rises up when you say no. You can watch like a seven-month-old be like, no? (laughs) I'm just telling you, it's like clockwork. That sin nature begins to develop. And in the case of of somebody who's a thief, What ends up happening is maybe something was stolen from them. Maybe a sibling invited them to be a part of a robbery. Maybe they just enjoyed the thrill of getting away from it, getting away with it. But in all cases of all sin, we all struggle with sin, and it becomes a part of who we are simply because we have a sin nature. I had a friend, and I'll I'll be real transparent on this. Um, Again, anybody who comes into our church guilty of any of this, which is every one of you at some point, we look at you the same way that Jesus does with love and compassion and invite you to follow him. And then begin to, in a loving way, to help you to take steps forward to follow him well. But listen, we don't, we don't, we don't soften the edges of what sin is. Sin, sin is sin. And whether it's Robin Banks or anything else on the list, you know, my desire to steal things still comes around every once in a while. Pastor Steve, what a horrible, evil person you are. Uh, The Bible says that Jesus was tempted. What was Jesus tempted by? Nunya. Jesus was tempted by Nunya, Nunya business. It's not clear in Scripture, but the Bible does say that he did what when he was tempted? He suffered. Some of you picture Jesus like just Wonder Woman bracelets, temptation, temptation, temptation. No, no, no. The Bible says temptation and he suffered 
It's not wrong to be tempted, and it's not wrong to struggle with something. It does not become sin until it conceives with our desire, and we make the decision to participate. That's when it becomes problematic. That's the moment we are not following Jesus, and we are following our sinful nature. And again, one of the great things about following Jesus is he washes us of the things we've been doing so we can stand right before God, but then he begins to wash our hearts Wash our minds, and regardless of why we got involved with thievery to start off with, I personally believe that we not only walk away from it in behavior, but over time, the temptation becomes less and less, and even when it does show up, we have no desire to go back to that because we've experienced the abundance of God without having to steal, amen? How much more can I say about this? Well, let me push in a little bit more. Um, there's going to be some things for you. Um, there, are, there are many things that all of us will have to give up. But there are also going to be some things in following Jesus that only you're going to have to give up. And she might not have to give them up, but you're going to have to give them up. Why? God knows. And it's not fair. There's no such thing as fair. You know what fair is? Just to be really honest with you, who's sinned? Let me see your hand raised real quick. Everybody in the room better get your hand up or I'm coming out there. (laughs) Don't make me come out. Don't make me pull this car over. (laughs) Quick joke. Can I tell you a quick joke? Put your hand down. Mom and dad driving down the road, boys fighting in the back seat of the car, and mom and dad just had had it. Got out, gave a paddling, which I guess is not allowed anymore. Um, Anyways, boys got a whipping. They got in the back seat and said, don't say another word. And dad got back in the car, and the little boy in the back tried to talk, and dad said, I said, don't say a word until I tell you you can say a word. And so finally, there was peace in the car, and the boy tried to talk again, and dad said, don't say a word. So finally, about 30 miles later, dad said, okay, you've been quiet. You can say a word now. What'd you want to say? Son said, hey, daddy, when I got a spanking back there, I dropped one of my shoes on the side of the road. (laughs) Anyways, I had nothing to do with my... What was, I, what was I talking about? Some things God's going to require of a person to give up. Why, really, in the depths of what's behind all of this? The rich young man didn't have money. Money had him. And God is going to be faithful to remove some of the things from your life that have you because of things or people or memories or, or, or desires have you, they will take you into wrong places. But if you surrender those things, God is able to wash and cleanse and allow you to step into a place of abundance. Um, there's several examples of people in Scripture who were frustrated at this. The disciples, one of the disciples was really aggravated because he felt like one of the other disciples was always getting a free ride and had a great future and his was much more difficult. And Jesus ultimately looked at him and said, he has nothing to do with you. You follow me. I want to make you this promise. I want to make you this guarantee. If you will follow Jesus, that path will lead you to the best version of you 
And it will lead to the best version of your future, one that glorifies God, but actually is much more enjoyable and rewarding and fruit-filled for your entire life. I can make you that guarantee, that promise, and I'll show you some scripture coming up here in just a moment. Now, let me say specifically about money because we are talking about the rich young man. I'll say this, that following Jesus will cost everyone some money because as you follow you're going to value, and as you follow, there's going to be things you discover in Scripture about God's relationship with you and money, and in order to build a life of faith, he's going to require you to return a portion of the money he's given to you, and there's going to be this, this beautiful picture of learning, so there's going to be some requirement of everyone for some money, but in this particular case, following Jesus required all of this man's money because, again, the money... Jesus, uh, the man didn't have the money, the money had him. But if God has your money, giving will never cost you a dime. In your life, if you've surrendered your money to God, it doesn't matter if he asks for $5 or $5 million, you will have no problem giving it. And I would challenge you, while some of you are still making minimum wage or trying to get your next buck, if you can begin to allow God to have the ownership of that little, you will have won the battle for when you have more. Because what I have found, stinginess has nothing to do, or unforgiveness, or a lack of generosity has nothing to do with an amount a person has, because I've been in third world countries where people have almost nothing and yet are incredibly generous, and then I've been around people who are in the top 1% who wouldn't share with their own family members. It's a condition of the heart, and if you can surrender your, all of your money to God, all of your life to God now, you'll find that no matter how much you make, money will never be an issue. And here's another little promise, and I, I really want to lean into our students, because many of our students in this church are faithful givers, and I applaud them, and I applaud our youth ministry, I applaud our, our youth leadership. We've got students in this room who babysit, who work part-time jobs, they're that, that, that top 84%, they realize that now that they're actually rich, but they, they're faithful with their finances. We have something going on, and they help to sponsor, you guys need me to do anything? Just keep going. You want me to switch microphones? You're good? Okay. Um, they're, they're, they're faithful to give, and they're generous above and beyond with their time. And many of them, for the big highlight of their summer, they went to, a, they went to Oaxaca, Mexico to serve at a children's outreach. That's their heart. That's, that's generosity. And I promise you that's going to carry on through the rest of their lives because they're learning to be generous in the things of God now even as teenagers. For those of you who respond and learn to give generously, time, treasure, and talent, I promise you this. You will have the greatest stories of faith and experience the greatest eruptions of the miraculous of anyone that you know because you've learned to be extremely generous. That generosity will open your future up to remarkable things. Crazy things like what Jen was talking about, having ha as someone who has an Airbnb, not knowing if it was even going to work, I can tell you that investment and our generosity, God blew my mind through that work. And Airbnb is not the only thing on the planet. Some of you have side hustles and different jobs and looking to be promoted. When you are generous, it unlocks the flow of God's resources in your life. Because when you're generous, you are obedient. And when you are obedient to God, 
some things slide into place that I think is incredibly important, which we'll hit in the next point. As a generous person, your generosity actually washes your money, which is dirty in nature, and causes it to be pure and holy, and your giving also does something even more valuable. It washes your heart and allows you to see life and resources and people and possessions through a, a washed heart that you'll find is not stingy and doesn't desire the things that other people have and is extremely appreciative for what you do have. So time for made-up word number two. Following Jesus will gain you everything. What was the previous one? Summary thing. Following Jesus will cost you summary thing. And following Jesus will gain you everything. Somewhere between something and everything, following Jesus is gonna add that to your life. And I know, yes, it's gonna, you know, eternal life. Okay, I, I, for those of you who just wanna be all spiritual and it's all about heaven someday, let me read you specific words, promises of God that we find here in scripture. Peter began to say to him, Lord, Lord, I've given up everything to follow you. I've given up not everything. I've given up everything. I'm one of the 12 disciples. And this disciple next to me, he's not gonna have to die like, he's just really irritated, Peter, right now. He's got poverty mentality. Hopefully you don't have this. It's where you walk around, feel like everybody's got more than you, and I don't ever have enough, and I'm not rich. See, I, he's not, he's saying we, but he's really saying, I have left everything to follow you. And Jesus said this, truly I say to you, there is no one. Can you repeat those two words with me? No one. Every someone in this room, raise your hand. You're someone. This says, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold in heaven. Did I miss something there? Because the reward's all in heaven, right? Actually, let me reread that for those of you who are sleeping. Um, they will not, who will not receive a hundredfold, say it with me, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters. See, it's not all just money. The wealth comes in so many different ways. And mothers and children and lands. I'm telling you that following Jesus will have a beneficial impact on your resources and your finances. And I'm not afraid to point out it's not all financial. It's gonna be in relationship. It's gonna be in opportunities. It's gonna be in physical. Following Jesus will make you take care of your own body because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you should take care of it. Spirit of God lives inside of it. You will naturally want to be in better shape because this is the body that God has given you and you're thankful for it and you want to be a good steward and want it to last. So you'll be healthier. Your mind will be clearer because you won't fill it with so much junk. There are so many ways that your life is going to be better in following Jesus, but specifically it talks about resources here. Your resources will be better if you follow Jesus. He specifically lists houses and he lists lands. And that's amazing. Now, he does add one little thing there towards the end of that. He says, with persecutions. Well, what's that talking? Because you're living here on earth. 
your best day here on earth, even following Jesus, is still going to have some pushback. My greatest day ever still it comes with some sweat. There's a curse on this world that we live in. It says by the sweat of our brow, we'll earn our income. We're going to earn our income, but man, it's not going to come just in a cool, shady day. I'm going to have to fight for every inch that Jesus died for to still experience it in my life. And he's promised me to reward me for surrendering my life to him, but there's still going to be some challenges in all of it. I'm going to have the best marriage possible because I'm following Jesus, but it's going to still be a challenge. Why? Because I'm, in, I'm involved in the marriage. Anybody here, you're alive, amen? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? I'm going to do really well financially following Jesus because I'm going to follow the biblical principles for finances. However, I'm still involved with it, so I'm going to tank it sometimes. Right? Anybody? Yeah, I'm blessed financially, but I just did that stupid thing. And then God says, okay, I'm going to help you. We're going to learn again. And so, But yet he still continues to love me and bless me. And I'm still way ahead of where I would ever be. So there are some persecutions. In other words, there's some pushback with all of that. And then he goes on to give the big reward. And in the age to come, eternal life. Not eternal survival like we're experiencing here. And not even eternal, not even natural thrival like we do in the kingdom of God as believers, but their abundant life. There is no persecution there. We will thrive on a level we can't even fathom, and that's the ultimate reward. But the promises in following Jesus, there, are, there is definitely a, a, a level of gaining everything. And I can tell you, looking at my own life, it just blows my mind. It blows my mind, the things that God has done for me in all of these categories, and it's directly attributable to one thing, simply following Jesus. And there have been a level of persecution, but especially in the area of finances, God has given me everything, and I would have been experiencing probably something more like nothing, a, a step above nothing, but radically dialed back because Steve Parrish is involved with it, and only Steve Parrish is involved with it. You know, in the process of this, we recognize a couple things, that um, when I follow Jesus, I begin to obey God. I stop robbing banks. Even if internally I still desire to rob banks in some cases. I stop robbing banks because I see in the word of God that God doesn't want me to do that. And even though there's this stirring to rob banks, I say no and I begin to follow him. And that means I'm not going to jail. And that means I can continue to work my job. And what ends up happening, obedience... There's a flow that comes from God in heaven to our lives. And when I was not walking with God, I was out of the flow of the blessings he wanted to pour into my life. But as I began to stop robbing banks, I began to get myself over here where the flow of God's blessing functions. Yeah, God wants to bless your life, but do you know that your disobedience is like, if I'm trying to give you water and I've got a hose and I say, put your bucket under the hose and you keep pulling your bucket over here, the water is still flowing. You are capturing very little of it because you're not aligned. And God's word will allow you to bring your life into alignment so God's very best can flow into your life directly. And if you keep robbing banks, yes, you can still get some of that flow of blessing, but it's gonna be radically diminished. Tracking with what I'm saying there? Hopefully that makes sense. Your obedience, and the worship team's gonna come. Your obedience to God is also a sign that you trust him. It's an expression of your relationship. 
that desire to rob a bank, and even if the desire to rob banks stays with you for the rest of your life, every time you drive by a bank, not today, Satan, as Rowena would say, (laughs) not today, Satan, I'm not listening to you. I want to keep my life aligned with God because I'm going to trust that following Jesus is more rewarding than robbing banks and the finances I could get from the bank illegally, God will get them to me somehow, maybe not in the same quantities, but he'll get me more than enough because that's the God that he is. And in the process, I'll be able to thrive by ignoring the desire, even though the desire is real. That obedience to God is also a demonstration of faith. Every time you obey God, it's a statement of faith and faith moves the heart of God and sends our lives into a forward motion. Obedience to God aligns your life with the kingdom, allowing the favor of God to flow freely and unrestricted into your life. That favor will have an impact on your material wealth for the better. When I was in college, I went to college with Bible college. It's back in the days, for those of you who remember, Jimmy Swaggart who had not gotten in trouble yet, was on TV everywhere. So that permeated Bible colleges, you know, this certain look and this certain way of carrying yourself, glory to God. And uh, I didn't, I was newly saved. I'd been saved for like three months. I showed up with no money, just enough for tuition, which was very low, and no car, got dropped off. I had two partial suits, none of which were bought for me. They were given to me by friends and they did not fit correctly. But man, I was following Jesus. And I remember there were some students that began to show up. This one guy, I won't say his name because he might be watching. (laughs) He showed up and he was a 20-year-old version of Jimmy Swaggart. Nice suits, slick tie, cut at the right height. He knew how to tie his tie. Nice shoes, well presented. Different suit for every day. Somewhat eloquent. He was driving a Parisian for a car. They don't even sell those in the United States. He was Canadian. Big, like, big, nice preacher's car. And as some of the students began to show up, they had much more resources than I did. But I was following Jesus And I saw that and something grabbed onto my heart and said, I began to pray, actually pray this way. Oh Lord, thank you that I'm not them. Thank you that I have nothing. Therefore, there is nothing to distract me from you. I feel sorry for those people who are wealthy and rich, Lord. They have all these distractions. I bet it's hard for them to even follow after you. I thank you that I am poor. And as loud as day, I heard God speak almost audibly, you will be rich. We didn't have any rich people in our family, in my mind. And in my mind, to be rich would be to be unsaved, practically. How can you make it into the kingdom of heaven? If you're a rich man, the Bible, look at this guy. He didn't give up his money. I don't want a bunch of money that I have to give away and fight. I just listen to be poor. It's holy, right? And there was that built into the culture of that day. God spoke to me and said, you will be rich. 
To be rich is actually just simply to have more than enough. Not enough is poor. More than enough is wealthy. And I've experienced in growing levels all my life, following Jesus always brings abundance. And obedience unlocks some of that. It turns into generosity and it creates this flow over your life that is favored and blessed. My prayer for you is that you would see yourself as God sees you, the desire of his affections, someone that he does want to bless. And if you will surrender everything, you will gain everything in your life. It will require summary thing or whatever that word is, but what will be gained is everything. Everything. And you'll look back and say, the best decision I made, giving it all to follow Jesus. Stand with me, okay? And as we, we sing this, um, this reprise of the song that we sung a little bit earlier, I want to invite you. I want to invite those of you who are who just with me, say, Lord, this morning I want to renew my commitment to surrender everything to you, knowing that I will gain much more than I'll ever surrender. But I want to reestablish the fact that you own me. You own me from top to bottom, inside and out. I surrender my life fresh and new to you. And, and maybe there's been no issues with you at all, and everything's been surrendered for a thousand years, or maybe there's been some areas that you've been fighting and taking back. Lord, Lord, I love you, and I give you everything except for my relationship with this person. Or, Lord, I love you, and I give you everything except for I ain't forgiven them. Or, Lord, I surrender everything to you except this one little habit that doesn't really line up with Scripture, but, Lord, everything else is good, right? I want to challenge you to surrender everything so that you can inherit everything, amen? So before you close your eyes and bow your heads, which we rarely do in our church, if you want to surrender everything to Jesus for the very first time or for the thousandth time, I want you to move out of your seat and just make your way here to the front and we're gonna pray, okay? And I'm not gonna beg you to come. I'm gonna invite you to come. If you stay in your seat, that's your decision. We'll still love you. Come on, pull, you guys are blocking the aisle. Come on, pull up forward. You're, you're stepping up forward this morning to say, Lord, my life is yours. I'm following after you. I'm surrendering everything I have to you. In Jesus' name. Come on, pull up this way, guys. Got a few people stuck behind you. Make some room for those who will come behind you. You will gain more than you can imagine. And someday, the, the reward is eternal life, right? Someday, someday we get everything. But until then, we experience lots of things that are good because we're following after him. Amen? Come on, pull up a little bit closer, you guys. Let me, let, let me pray over you. I got a few of you that's good to see up here. Jesus will walk along with you at a comfortable gate to help you to get into that flow of being surrendered to him. He's not gonna back up a truck and make you take care of everything today, but he invites you a step at a time to be surrendered to him, amen? Amen. amen. Come on, eyes open, but looking at you, let's surrender to him. Lord, we surrender our lives to you. Lord, we surrender our families to you. Lord, we surrender our hearts to you. Father, I surrender my future to you. God, I surrender my desires to you. Lord, I surrender my money to you. Lord, I send my, surrender my talents to you. 
They're given by you, God. Lord, I surrender. Father, my finances to you. Tough thing, but I surrender them to you. However little, however much. Trusting that whatever you require, God, it's because you don't want my finances to have me. You want me to have my finances. Father, I surrender my brokenness. I surrender my past. I surrender my failures to you this morning. Father, I surrender. There's areas of my heart that desire some things that are wrong. I admit it to you, God, and I surrender those desires to you. And Father, I commit in my heart not to obey, and I'm asking that you'll wash not only my mind and my hands, but wash my heart so that those desires are removed so that I can be aligned with Scripture. Father, I surrender everything, knowing that I'll gain everything. Abundance, God, in this lifetime, You'll help me with the challenges and the persecution. But Lord, you'll pour out into my life abundance. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Do me a favor. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Don't go anyplace yet. Amen. A couple things. If today's your first day saying yes to Jesus, tell somebody. Tell me. Let me know, okay? I don't want you to go back to your seat for a second. Worship team's going to come and stand and stare you in the face like this, but we're going to sing together. But I want you to keep locked in just for a second. For some of you, what, for those of you, maybe there's no judgment for those of you who are back there, okay? This is not the place where bad people come to get made good. This is the place that people come to ramp up their posture to receive the things. This is the, what we call the forward lean. This is where you come to stretch for the things that God has for you. It's not, you don't come up here so that you can like, oh, I've done bad things. Oh, no, no, okay, God loves me. No, this is where we come when we're saying, God has more, and I want to posture myself leaning forward. Let this always be what that place is. May this be the place where you visit the most in this building. It's the place where we have forward leaning into talking with God, and it's where things change. It's where our heart adjusts, amen? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.